Welcome to the Facts versus Feelings podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sonu Varghese. Cutting through the noise in 30 minutes each week, taking out the boring and helping investors focus on what really matters. A quick note before we start the show, investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Carson Partners, a division of CWM LLC, is a nationwide partnership of advisors. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the 33rd episode of Carson's Facts versus Feelings with Ryan and Sonu. I'm Ryan Dietrich, the chief market strategist here at the Carson Group. Sonu, your title is? Vice President, comma, dot, 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 global macro strategist. There you go. So again, good, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on when you are listening to this podcast. Sona and I are really excited. There's a lot of fun stuff to discuss. This is the 33rd episode of our of our podcast. Remember last week, if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, we had Sam Stovall on from CFRA. Definitely check that out. Uh, one of our more downloaded and listened to podcasts ever. Sam's uh, an institution of knowledge, and he also brings a lot of humor uh, to the show. So listen to last week. So Sona, this week we've titled it the recession is delayed again. We keep hearing about this recession. We keep hearing about it, um, but we're not seeing it. And the data has continued to confirm that. So we're going to really break down the economy uh, in the first part of this discussion. Second part is two of the more popular questions we've received from, from our more than 350 partners lately. Two things, the debt ceiling and what's the other thing? Oh, geez, regional banks, sorry. Regional, latest with regional banks and the debt ceiling. So we're going to break those two things down. And depending how much time we have left at the end, we'll take a look at the Fed. Now, Sonu, you have, um, we'll just tease the crowd. If anybody remembers, when did you last play your guitar? A couple months ago? It was Dire Straits, right? Yeah, yeah. Dire Straits, a little bit of, uh, what? oh, you know what it was? Uh, Pi Day, March 14th. Oh, yeah. That was it. Yeah, so, so we have someone who's got the guitar, and we're going to end the podcast. If you're listening, maybe just fast forward to the last couple of minutes. You can listen to it if you really wanted to. Then come <laughs> and then back rewind and back. To it. Rewind yes. back. But Sonu's got his guitar. <laughs> maybe for the people on YouTube, can you show the guitar? Just hold it up. Just I mean, where is it? Somewhere oh, yeah. next to you, right? Yeah, it's there right here. And uh, there it is. This is. Yeah. I picked it up from a backpacking trip in Argentina about a little more than a decade ago. Wow. So that was like my souvenir. Instead of getting like a little uh, mm-hmm. fridge magnet or something, I decided to get a guitar. <laughs> so you're not going to go Kurt Cobain and like smash it up at the <laughs> no. very end, are you? You're going to no. keep, no. Gonna keep no. it in one piece. <laughs> no. oh, good. Well, maybe you help the economy by smashing it up and have to buy a new one, you know? Buy, no. buy a new one from America. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Don't yes. do that. All right. So so, so we're going to jump right in, Sonu. Um, the economy, right? We're going to talk about among different things, jobs, light vehicles have been strong, supply chains improving, um, earnings have been strong. Let's start with jobs, though, because you kind of compared the jobs number we saw on Friday to a Goldilocks economy or Goldilocks scenario. First off, what does that mean and what did the jobs number tell you um, as to why the economy likely is going to avoid a recession for the near term? Uh, if you remember Goldilocks' story, it's like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. She goes into their house. She tries the little bowls of uh, porridge, porridge yeah. or oatmeal or whatever it is, right? And then one's too hot, one's too cold. And then the third one is just sort of perfect. It's not too hot, not too cold, right? And if you remember before the SVB crisis, and this is you know, sometime in February, everyone was like, 
oh my God, the economy is too strong. It's overheating. The Fed has got to hike. It's got to hike a lot more. And then the regional bank crisis hit with SVB and Signature. They were taken over and sold and all of that. And everyone is like, oh, it's back to recession, right? We started the year with recession. It's been four months, by the way, right? We're a third of the way into the year. And there's, like you said, no sign of a recession yet. But then we get payroll numbers from last Friday. Boom. It's like, yet again, not too hot, not too cold. And hence the Goldilocks theme. Exactly. So the number in the month of April came in at 253,000 jobs created, expected to be closer to 180. What was interesting, though, was the prior two months, which had some huge numbers, and we weren't shocked by this, were revised lower by 149. And that's kind of, is that kind of part of what you're saying? Like, you know, it's not too hot, not too cold. It's solid. We're still making over 200,000 jobs, I believe, the last three months. But what does those revisions the previous two months tell you? I mean, one thing is, look, there's always revisions. Revisions tend to happen. It's pretty random up and down. That's why you usually want to take an average, right? So two things related to this. You take the last three months. So forget January is really hot, 470,000 jobs or something like that. But take February, March, April, you take the average. It's about 222,000 jobs on average per created, right, per month. That is really strong. Right. The average before the pandemic was about, well, let me look at my notes, uh, 183,000. By the way, 183,000 is also very strong. Right. It, if you're above 125, 130,000, I would say that is a really good number. Right. So just to keep the 222,000 for the last three months in perspective. And then you combine that for January, Ryan, 1.1 million jobs created in four months. I think that says it all. The economy is doing fine. That does say it all. This also jives with what the ADP told us. The private payrolls came out early in the week last week, way stronger than expected again. I mean, so here's the question, and maybe we'll move forward. All we hear about is all these layoffs, 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 the large tech companies, and it's legit, right? And a lot of financial companies are in trouble. There are layoffs, yet the other side of things, then we get this data that says, well, maybe people are getting laid off, but we're still hiring. How do you square that hiring. circle? I mean, I think you just squared it, basically. <laughs> it's like more than 6 million hires, right? I mean, we got the job opening and labor turnover survey. This was mm-hmm. for March. It was in April. But, you know, a lot of people got hired. And, six, and you know, between 6 and 7 million people got hired in March. That's a lot of people. A lot of people got laid off. And that's why when you look at the payroll numbers, you're looking at a net number, right? Jobs created minus jobs lost, right? Whether people quit or whether people got laid off or, you know, other discharges, as they call it, right? But speaking of, you know, layoffs, uh, we, we talked about the whole that tech thing. And now what's the latest thing you hear in tech, Ryan? AI, right? And yes. I bet by the end of this year, tech is going to be like, nobody wants to be at the back of the race with respect to AI. I bet all these companies are going to race ahead saying, you know what, we got to catch up. We got to get into this AI game. So I bet, you know, we're not far from hearing the end of tech layoffs. But then you take even manufacturing. Manufacturing, I mean, you know, manufacturing is a bit of a slowdown. I mean, you can argue a recession or not. It's created 11,000 jobs over the first four months. I mean, it's not exactly recessionary. Same thing, construction, right? That's added 44,000 jobs this year. I mean, you know, I, I think the housing downturn is done. And looking ahead, I think housing is going to housing's going to add to GDP the rest of yeah, this year. Yeah, we talked we talked about that a few weeks ago. Housing makes up yeah. about 5% of GDP, but it's a volatile 
volatile five percent, right. and it yes. took away from GDP a good deal last year. And you said, "Hey, we're getting some better news, and maybe it's going to start to improve yeah. um, and help GDP," which is something I don't hear too many people out there saying. Uh, so, new one thing I want to point out. So that's that's um, kind of where we are with with the jobs numbers, employment backdrop still strong. Supply chains. Remember this time a year ago, supply chain mm-hmm. concerns. All the ships that were backed up all over the place, Port of LA, different places, um, or Port of Long Beach, I should say. Supply to the New York Fed does some monthly data on supply chains, a supply chain um, pressure index, third lowest ever. They said that uh, European and Taiwan delivery times were cited as some of the major improvements. But the truth is supply chains are literally no more of an issue. I mean, things are just fine almost, it appears. And that's one more um, worry that we had this time a year ago uh, that I just don't see right now. Now, talk to me about light vehicle sales. This is a big one. I mean, you're going to buy a car, you're going to buy a light vehicle. That's a big purchase. You probably don't do that if you think you're about to lose your job or you think the economy's about to go under. How strong was that last month, Sonu? That was big. I mean, last month, basically, we're talking about April. Light yep. vehicle sales increased about 7%, right? It got up to about close to 16 million vehicles. I mean, this is an annualized rate. That's base of sales, right? That was the highest since, uh, I'm looking at this, June 2021. So almost two years, right? And why have vehicle sales been like, you know, like rock, rock bottom, basically? Yep. Because of supply chain issues. That's slowly coming back, right? It's still not, the good news is it's on an uptrend. The other piece of good news is we still got some ways to go to get back to the pre-pandemic level. Before the pandemic, you're selling about, you know, on an annualized basis, about 17 million vehicles a month. Mm-hmm. We are at 16 right now, just under that. So I, I think, you know, we'll get there. Hopefully we'll get there by the end of this year. It's taken, admittedly, I thought it would take, uh, it wouldn't take as long as it has so far. But the good news is it's going to be a tailwind. Want to know more about the impact the 2024 election may have on the markets and the economy? We'll be covering everything advisors and their clients need to know in the lead-up to Election Day, including what to expect from the markets, news out of Washington, and what historically happens after elections. You can find all of our 2024 election content at carsongroup.com slash election. No, absolutely. I think that's a great point. Um, Again, that's something we're just not hearing as much about. Now, Soto, I think the final thing we wanted to talk about was earnings. Um, about 85% of companies have reported earnings in the S&P 500, about 79, according to their friends at Facts, that 79% of those have beaten by an average of 7%. That's a really strong number, one of the stronger beats we've seen in a couple of years. At the start of this earnings season, you and I talked about it, let's say five, six weeks ago, earnings expected to drop about 6 or 7% for right. the quarter. What's that recent number? It's a lot better, though, than negative six or seven, right? Where is it right it, now? I, I think it's down just about 2% year over yep. year earnings. I, I mean, that's that, that's a big beat, right? I mean, yeah. And then you and I were talking about it earlier today, how a lot of companies give forward guidance. What do they think about what's going to happen in the future? And they like, we all know, they like to play this game where they try to lowball earnings and they come out and beat it, right? Right. But it's rare you see a lot of companies giving positive forward guidance. And we've seen more than 50% of companies that have issued uh, forward guidance is saying, you know, things are going to be good. That doesn't happen if you're thinking about running into a recession. Yeah, I mean, two things we've seen. You mentioned AI. You look at like, you know, count the words done during, during these earnings um, press releases mm. and such. AI is soared, but also, like you said, 
better earnings expected expectation. If you look at 2023 earnings, it appears to have troughed. It's actually 1% or so off the lows from just this time a couple of weeks ago. As again, things are not perfect, but wow, corporate America continues to say the economy is strong. The consumer is strong. Some companies might give a different opinion. Yes, but overall, uh, we continue to see people out there spending and in corporate America does little to change that. The big one, Apple, Apple, this is not a recommendation on Apple, but again, the largest company in the world, um, their revenue is almost $95 billion, 51 or so billion. So more than half of that was iPhones. Both those numbers stronger than expected when the largest company in the world last Thursday came out with some really impressive earnings. That sparked a really solid rally, almost 2% or so on the S&P on Friday. That makes it two weeks in a row, everyone, where we've been down on the mat. All right. We've been knocked out by Wednesday, Thursday, then a late week rally as that S&P continues to flirt with that big 4200 level. Now, Sony 4200. Yeah, yeah, it's random by itself. But tell me, where were we two years ago on the S&P and one year ago on the S&P? 4200. I, I mean, I only go. know it. Yeah, I yeah. cheated. I saw your chart. That's why right. <laughs> I, I would have yeah. guessed that. <laughs> yeah, me, me either until I saw the chart. But I mean, that, that how to me, it's fascinating. The last two years, all the things that's happened the last one year, all things that happened. Yeah, stocks are flat. And there's, believe me, two ways to look at this. Well, stocks are flat. But man, stocks are flat in the face of just list some of the things we've seen in the last year. So the incredible things that you think knocked the market down, yet we're flat. I mean, goodness, you go back two years. Okay, we were sort of coming out. This is 2021, right? Yeah, we're mm-hmm. in 2023. Yeah, sometimes I lose track. But, I don't know you know, yeah. we were coming out of COVID. I mean, uh, but there was still Delta and Omicron is yet to come and all of that. But still, they're coming out of it. But then, you know, this world's second largest economy was in shutdown, right? With COVID. If it said that, and then he said, we and then, were- By the way, that's next- China. By the way, that's, that's China. China. China yes, shut that's down. That's China, yeah. yes. Yep. Yep. And then you say, okay, the US is going to get experience the highest inflation in 40 plus years. And the Fed is going to respond with the highest, most aggressive rate tightening cycle in 40 plus years, almost Volcker-like by a Fed chair who sort of fancies himself as the second coming of Volcker, dare I say. Mm-hmm. Only shorter, I, I, only shorter. Yeah, only six shorter. seven. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so, but if, if you said, I mean, I would have said the markets would be a lot lower. Mm-hmm. Uh, given all you. of that. I, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and I think that's one of the things we've talked a lot about all that negativity last couple of podcasts, yeah. talked about, you know, put the call ratios and investor sentiment polls and flows and just anecdotal sentiment. You and I get to work with more than 130 of our Carson partners every day. The majority of the questions we get coming in are not, hey, guys, how high do you think this market's going to go? Believe me, those are not the questions we are hearing from clients or from advisors and from that contrarian point of view with the economy stronger. Maybe that's a positive. I mean, Sona, anything else on earnings you want to say before we move forward or just the economy avoiding a recession in general before we move forward? I, I mean, I just I think this one underlines it. The unemployment rate is down at a mm-hmm. 50 plus year low of yeah. 3.4%, lowest since 1969, just to give you a hint of what may be coming ahead. But, yeah. you know, like but even with the unemployment rate, you could argue that, OK, the BLS, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, doesn't uh, count participation properly. And there's the effect of demographics, things like that. But then you look at prime age employment population, mm-hmm. right? The ratio of uh, people in their prime age working is 25 to, 50, 25 to 54. That ratio is at 80.8%, Ryan. It's uh, the highest we got to before the pandemic was 80.5. We are above that. We are at the highest level in 22 years, right? We're getting close to what we saw in the late 90s. That's, and that was like the best labor market the country's you know, had seen until then in decades. So 
This is a pretty historic labor market, to be honest. No, nice job bringing us back to the summer of 69. Hint, hint. There um, you go. That might go. Um, <laughs> Brian Adams, hint, hint. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I mean, but it's, let's say that one more time. So prime age workers, there's more people working now than pre-pandemic. What's one of the things we've all heard time yes. and time again? Well, nobody wants to work. Nobody wants to work. Yeah. And some of that. But prime age workers are actually working more now than they did pre-pandemic, one of the highest levels in a long time. Again, yep. not something you tend to see in a recession. And that's, again, why we titled this podcast, um, The Recession is Delayed Again. And that's yeah. one thing we're seeing. Now, so do, we're going to talk about regional banks and debt ceiling next. But before we get there, Omaha is the center of the financial universe this week. This weekend, Warren Buffett had his annual Berkshire Hathaway uh, convention slash festivity slash fun party, whatever you want to call it. But later this week, starting uh, well, really Tuesday, we fly in, but Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, we have uh, the Carson Group Partner Summit, yeah. which again is in Omaha, just continuing the party with Omaha. I went to the first Partner Summit, I guess, last September. Never done one in you know the home the home region of Omaha. How much fun do you expect to have this week with our partners? I, I think that'll be great. I mean, it's a I, I mean, for those of you listening, I mean, I know a lot of you who listen are advisors, but a lot of you aren't mm -hmm. also, and clients too, right? I mean, we serve, what, yep. Ryan, about 48,000 households with 350 I, partners around the country. Just that I community think, coming I together believe, I is massive. I'll just jump in real fast, real fast. I think we just cracked $22 billion for the first time I've ever seen. Total assets, $22 billion. We just cracked that, yeah, so yeah. all-time high, along with how many families so, we serve. Go ahead. I mean, and Ron likes to say, Ron, our founder, likes to say, you know, Omaha is the center of the universe, and I'm in Chicago, Ryan's in Cincinnati, so it's always nice to, by the way, seeing you as well, Ryan, and you know, oh, no, it's, it's going to be it's nice gonna, to get together. Yes, we, we can't for wait. For everyone to get um, together, that's great. Yeah, we, we can't wait, and again, we'll record our next podcast live from Partner yes. Summit, so be sure to follow us on social media because I think the plan is we're going to broadcast uh, some of these podcasts live, uh, leveraging, I believe it's LinkedIn Live, if that's what it's called, but leveraging LinkedIn. So just, you know, more details to come on that. But we've got some pretty cool things uh, up our sleeve. Carson Group's growing. Uh, we're having lots of fun. Uh, we love working with our partners every day, helping our partners grow faster uh, on average than your average investor. So or, I'm sorry, average advisor. But if you're an advisor, you're somewhere, you're not, you're looking around, you're not really happy with how things are going. Go to carsongroup.com and check us out because the things we're doing here are really special and we'd love for you to come on, check it out. And this week, this week will be a lot of fun uh, doing that with our current partners. All right, so do. So the two questions we've been hearing from our partners yes. more and more. Um, uh, let's see, it's regional banks. I guess we'll start with regional banks. And then the debt ceiling, latest with the debt ceiling. By the time most people listen to this, you can go to our blog, carsongroup.com, click on insights at the top. We'll have had blogs on both these things we're about to talk about. But regional banks, let's start there. Um, you know, we saw a bloodbath in some of the regional banks again last week. Uh, Pacific West was the specific one that was down a lot yeah. kind of in the crosshairs. Um, you, you've done some cool work on your daily note that you send out just to our partners. Talk to me about kind of what we've seen in terms of Fed lending. I think this is really interesting. Um, in terms of Fed lending, what we're seeing there. So I, I just, you know, what we saw last week was we had this big sell-off in regional banks. PacWest, Bancorp on Thursday fell about more than 50%. Western Alliance fell about 40%. And the regional bank ETF, again, not a recommendation, that fell about 7%, right? It was triggered by right. PacWest saying, oh, we're seeking a strategic option, possibly, you know, selling part of its business to free up capital, shrinking the balance sheet, and all of that, right? Look, big story is, 
uh, long, long story short, there's no real fundamental problem with any of these banks. Unlike SVB had a problem. The way they were yes. doing business, there was a problem there. They had about 90% of their total deposits were uninsured. So when they got into trouble, all those people, there's a WhatsApp group, we talked about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, all those deposits went away. Whereas with PacWest, Western Alliance, about only about 25% of the deposits are uninsured. The rest of it are is pretty steady. I mean, those are insured deposits, right? So from a fundamental level, it's very different from those, you know, SVB and Signature and all of that. And look, the best place to look if there was more bank stress or increasing bank stress, are they going to the Fed's, what we call liquidity facilities to borrow money, right? If they were in trouble, that's where we would go. That, that's why the Fed... Right you know, introduce those facilities, right? They introduce this bank term funding program. And that's really the most important one. That's a new facility introduced in March. Banks can take, you know, say they own treasuries, right? And par value is, let's say, 100 cents, right? Or $1. But then because, you know, interest rates went up, bond prices went down, let's say that's worth only 90 cents on the dollar. Now they can go to this facility and exchange it for par. They can tell the Fed, you know, you take this thing, you give me 100 cents back, Right. So it's, it's I, I, I mean, there, there's a cost to it and there's, they have to pay for it in terms of interest when they, you know, take back the collateral and things like that. But it's, you know, if you're in trouble, that's not a bad deal, right? We're not seeing an increase in usage for that facility. If banks are running into issues with deposit outflows, they could easily go here, go to this facility and exchange collateral at par. But the fact that it's falling shows that Things are, you know, pretty much fine within the banking system from a fundamental level, at least right now. I'm not saying, you know, anything could happen, right? But right now, things are okay. The usage of that facility actually fell over the previous week from about $81 billion to about $76 billion. So that's a good sign. No, absolutely. I believe if you look at the three places, discount window, loans, the FDIC yes. banks, and then bank term funding program, BTFP, all three of those combined are a seven-week low, right? Wildly different than what we're hearing. If you look at TV, yes, some of these re- smaller regional banks have been hit hard. Like you said, um, uh, Pacific West, they're a, I, I've never heard of them, I'll be honest, but they're, they're yes. a base in Beverly Hills. That's probably why I've never heard right. of them. Um, you know, but again, their <laughs> core deposits actually increased since March. Yes. And uh, believe me, yes. that can change in a hurry. But again, those are some key concepts that, uh, you know, that bank was up a lot on Friday, up a lot on Monday morning as you and I are recording this. You know, believe me, things can change by the time you listen to this podcast. But those are clearly some signs uh, that we're seeing on the regional bank side of things. And the other big question that we've had, anything else on regional bank? Oh, you know what? What I want to ask you, Sonu, you did a pretty cool chart about the feedback loop and how how this works. Try to describe this the best we can. This will likely be in a blog by the time someone listens to this on carsongroup.com. Click on insights at the top and you get to the blog. But it's a feedback loop on how media, social media, some of the things play in. Try to describe this the best you can. I thought it was pretty cool. I think the analogy I would use is if you think back two years back to February, maybe a little over that, February 2021, you remember that whole GameStop thing? Again, not a recommendation. That whole GameStop thing, things are going vertical up because there was a lot of Call option buying, retail investors are buying calls. So the dealers who were selling them the calls had mm-hmm. to hedge for that and buy the stock. And they just kept running up, right? Until fundamentals came back into play and then things went downhill after that, right? It's literally the opposite of that, right? You get news somewhere that, oh, bank ABC is in trouble. That gets social media attention. There's a lot of put buying. Put buying means you're betting. You're kind of betting on the stock to fall, 
right? That's how you make a profit. But on the other side, dealers are basically long the stock, and so they have to hedge for that. And as the stock price goes down, they have to short even more stock. Long story short, the you know pun intended, basically. Long yeah, story short, I like that. Yep. <laughs> but the stock continues to go down, right? It gets all the social media attention. It gets media coverage as well that the bank has to come out and say, "Hey, we are okay. We are pursuing maybe a strategic option, right? Trying to free up some capital." That gets even more media coverage, and the stock falls even more. And eventually, you get this self-fulfilling prophecy that there may be deposit outflows. Like I said, the good news is a lot of these banks are still fundamentally okay with respect to how they do business. But eventually, the idea, or for people doing this, you know, in this feedback loop, the idea is maybe the FDIC takes over, sells a bank at a big discount, equity shareholders get wiped out. They make yep. a profit, right? I, I, there's nothing wrong in short selling. I, I, I do want to say that nothing wrong in it. It's just that we are in this feedback loop of social media and media, and you know, short selling and speculative attacks on you know some of these banks. So that's where we are at. Like I said, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with a lot of these banks. Uh, great, great points there, and we'll move forward. But that's definitely a, an interesting way to look at it. So the debt ceiling. We're going to hear a lot more about this over the coming weeks as uh, concerns. You know, we've got $31.4 trillion is how our country pays the bills. And, well, we're running out of time. It's called X date when the country literally runs out of money to pay a lot of the bills. Um, no one knows exactly when that is, but it's sometime in June in all likelihood. Janet Yellen is in charge of the Treasury. She said June 1st or so is when that's going to be. What worries, you know, I guess you could say most investors that remember some of these times is – 2011, right? We've increased the debt ceiling so 89 times since 1959, more than 100 times since the first time ever, 1917, to finance World War One. Yet it's a scary time, as Sam mentioned. Sam Silver mentioned last week on the podcast. The media's job is to kind of click onto those or hitch onto those scary times. That's when we really remember. I remember August 2011 when we had a debt mm-hmm. uh, issue, uh, debt ceiling issue. S&P came out and somewhat unexpectedly, apparently, because the market sold off 19.4% in about four or five days, twenty almost a bear market in about a week, um, on the U.S. debt downgrade. Do you think we're going to see, uh, first off, another U.S. debt downgrade? Do you think we're going to kick the can? What's your take on exactly how this all could play out? And again, we're probably at least a month away, but how this could play out? I mean, never say never, right? But I look, like you said, what we've uh, raised the debt ceiling 89 times. I dare say we're going yeah. to be seeing it being raised a 90th time. But here's something interesting. I, I saw this from your blog on the debt ceiling, by the way. But uh, everyone should check it out. It's on the carsetgroup.com website. Uh, it, it'll be out by the time you're listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. It's right now in the compliance journal. One thing I didn't know is that uh, the U.S. is the only country other than Denmark to do it this way. <laughs> yes. And I'm not sure why. I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah, most countries just do their debt ceiling based on a percent of GDP. We like to do it nominally. We like to vote on it every so often. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I said, maybe we just like drama in this country and Washington can kind of point fingers. And then when it's all said and done, ah, there we go. We're, we're the winners or we're the losers. I don't know why. I, I don't know. Us in Denmark. It's a Jeopardy question. You know, <laughs> there, there you go. Uh, the other thing about no. this is interesting. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Sonu. No, no, I, I think you were probably going there as well. I mean, you'd have to look at two big players. But yeah. these things, you think, I mean, there, there should be a deal. I think one problem right now is we don't see the pathway to a deal, right? Nobody sees, like, what is a path to a deal? It seems like the parties are really far apart, and they are, right? But uh, I was looking at uh, this 
what we call a SWOT analysis of, you know, President Biden and McCarthy. What are their strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, right? And this is on our Twitter feeds. You can take a look at it. It'll be on the blog by the time you listen to this podcast as well. But the idea is there's a lot of opportunity here, right? At the end of the day, what's President Biden's interest? Winning re-election next, next year. What needs to happen for that or what needs not to happen? The economy going into a recession, especially a self-inflicted one, right? Speaker McCarthy, he wants to stay in power too, right? He wants, and for him to stay in power, Republicans need to hold the House, right? I mean, the the economy going into a recession because of, like I said, a self-inflicted goal is not in anyone's interest here. So there's a lot of opportunity for dealing, I think. It's just that everyone's going to be in that corner right till the very end. And that's going to be painful for those of us who follow markets and the economy. Yeah. And remember, Libby Cantrell joined this podcast several months ago. We've got her back on from PIMCO, uh, their political strategist. I'm sure she's got a different Mm -hmm. title, but this is her world. She's going to join us in a couple of weeks when this is really probably starting to heat up and and break things down. Now, if you look at those 89 times since 1959, Sonu, that the debt ceiling has been increased, 56 of those times took place when the Democrats were fully in charge of Congress. Nine times when Republicans are fully in charge of Congress. Now, take note, Democrats have been in charge of Congress much more than any other scenario going back to 1959. So it makes sense they've had the most increases. But the one I want to point out, 24 times when you had a split Congress, you had both parties work together to increase the debt ceiling. So just the makeup of Congress by itself doesn't appear to be any major reason not to think that we cannot Kick the can <laughs> one more time and increase the debt zone. Now, so no, we, we've gone a long time. We've got a couple minutes here. The Fed was one of the big events last week. Uh, the Fed did increase interest rates once again. The upper limit on the Fed funds right now is five and a quarter of uh, uh, 500 basis points. They've done 10 consecutive uh, interest rate hikes. I guess my question to you is, do you think this was the last one? A lot of people say that, but we've, we've heard that for a little bit, too. What, what's your take on that? I'd like to think so, uh, especially conditioned on the fact that we don't get another massive inflation surprise. I mean, we may get mm-hmm. month-to-month noise, but that's all I think it is. It's like a little noise. I mean, one month, airfares may go up, but that may be offset by car prices, or car prices may go up, so it'll be offset by something else. But yeah. we know the general trajectory, I think, goodness, you and I have talked about it for a long time, that trajectory is down, especially as shelter inflation comes down, right? Mm-hmm. So I... I think barring a massive inflation surprise, which will probably more often than not, these surprises come with some big spike in energy prices, right? And food prices. Yeah. Thankfully, that's you know, energy prices have been really stable. Utility prices, actually, the good news for people's wallets at home is that uh, natural gas prices are down. So utility bills are, you know, trending down as well. So that's good. Food prices are coming down. We talked about eggs and strawberries and whatnot, right? So so th- th- that's all good news with respect to people having more, a little more money than, in their pockets than they did last year this time. So I think the Fed's done. Yeah. But uh, that doesn't mean they take- cut. Right. That's the next thing. A little bit on that. The Taylor Swift indicator we've talked before, there's no way you can have a recession with Taylor Swift going out and doing what she's doing. Um, And I I bought, as I talked about this podcast, I think it was back in December when I bought six tickets. Uh, We're looking to sell a few of them. I'll tell you, there's inflation there, Sonu. These tickets are (laughs) going for crazy prices, which I'm like, hey, if I can actually make my money back, spend a lot of money on these six tickets and get my money back on that. But a few things also from Powell last week. Um, really no major comments at regional banks, which is a tad surprising. He said still doesn't see a recession, modest growth. He said banking system is, quote unquote, sound and resilient. 
they did, let's see here, where is it? Um, um, some, quote unquote, some additional policy firming may be appropriate was taken out. Um, so all in all, he right. set the door, set the stage, maybe a better way to put it, for this to be the last hike. Of course, data dependent. They're going to watch everything. But by the time sure. a lot of people listen to this, CPI might have come out. So we'll get a little more information on inflation in general. But I guess the other thing, Sony, was he, the prepared statement came off dovish. Market rallied. Right. But then during the Q&A, he came off what was apparently a little more hawkish. Markets sold off. But by Friday, it seemed like people kind of took a look after they slept on a little bit. So, oh, maybe maybe he wasn't as hawkish as we thought. Believe me, it's confusing. Um, I still think it's the last hike likely as long as inflation doesn't soar, which we don't anticipate. Um, if it is a last hike, what does that really mean for investors, you think, though? I think the key difference between what's happening in markets right now, what Powell said, and I think Fed officials generally. Look, uh, I'll, I'll put it this way. By the end of this year, I think you and I probably maybe on the same page that it's not like inflation is going to be close to 2%, which is the target. It'll probably sure. be about somewhere between 3 4 I think it'll be trending down. I think we'll get below 3 next year sometime, barring any surprise. Uh, so which means what? If, if inflation by the end of this year is somewhere between 3 to 4 let's say 3.5%, they're not going to cut rates. Whereas the market is pricing in at least three rate cuts by December, starting in September. So I, I think what's happening in markets is uh, they're pricing in a crisis, some sort of recession or something like that to start. Yeah. And every day that we don't get one, the odds of that reduces, by the way. It goes back to the title of this, right? Recession is delayed again, right? Each and every day we get good news. We get another day without crisis, another day without a bank shutdown, another day with better payrolls, slightly better inflation numbers, that just pushes out things further and further out, right? So right. including rate cuts. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, the market's anticipating, if you look at Fed funds futures, three rate cuts later this year. Mm-hmm. We don't see that happening. We'll continue to talk about it. Sam Stovall last week didn't um, see it happening as well. Right. So everyone, thank you again for joining the 33rd episode of Carson's Facts versus Feelings. Uh, with Ryan and Sonu. And again, we titled it, oh gee, sorry, where is it? There it is. The recession is delayed again. Now, the reason everyone is here, Sonu, after that uh, start. All right. May of 1969 was the last time the unemployment rate was this low. Also a famous time for the famous Canadian singer, Brian Adams, summer of 69. Sonu's going to end this podcast strumming a little bit from the summer of 69. Take it away, Sonu. All right. Let's, uh, all right. That was awesome. Let's see AI take that away. You know, AI might all take right. some things yeah, that come up. AI can't do that. Take that. Um, that was awesome. That's real quickly, Sonu. Where's that guitar from? I know we talked about it earlier. Where's your guitar from? What's special about it? Ar- Patagonia down in Argentina. Yeah. I was backpacking and this was my souvenir. This is my fridge magnet, so to speak. 
<laughs> How do you get one of those back through customs? Customs always so picky. Were they picky back then? Or I mean, no, you know, no. I, I don't know. They were, yeah. they, they were all okay. right. It, it was a big piece. Good. It was more the airline. Where do I store it? Oh, that's a that was point. a problem. That's a good point. So, well, that was awesome, Sonu, as always. Everyone, hopefully you enjoyed the 33rd episode of Carson's Facts versus Feelings with Ryan and Sonu. A lot of fun. And again, definitely listen this week. Uh, follow us on social media where we'll be sharing uh, some live links to the latest podcast that we're going to do. Um, they should be uh, a lot of fun in Omaha this week. Like we said, Omaha is the center of the financial universe this week between Warren Buffett's annual uh, meeting and then our um I guess it's biannual partner summit partners. with more than partners, partner summit with more than 350 of our partners should be a lot of fun. So everyone will see you then. So I'll see you in person, I guess tomorrow night, maybe or maybe. at least Wednesday morning, one or the other. We'll see. Definitely Wednesday. For sure. There we All go. Right. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. Information provided on Facts versus Feelings with Sonu Varghese and Ryan Dietrich are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. The statements and opinions of show guests may not be reflective of CWM LLC or its affiliates. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested indirectly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principle. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Facts versus Feelings are not affiliated with CWM LLC.